Good. Good. Good morning. Um, if you're looking for a new idea in regard to your quiet times this week, um, something that's been really good, take one of the six blessings that we've been talking about and studying in chapter one of Ephesians and focus on one a day and praise God for that, whether it be just talking to God in prayer, in song, whatever. Praise God for that blessing. Um, and then take these great resources. I really wanted to push these resources for a second. Take all these handouts we've been getting in the past weeks, these grammatical layouts, these outlines, and, uh, and other handouts, and, and use them. They will be a blessing, I promise, uh, to you. They've, they've been a blessing to me. And um, I'd encourage you, don't let those past handouts collect dust or sit folded up in the back of your Bible never to be seen again. Um, take advantage of those, of those things. Study over the text and um, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what He has for you that day. Um, it is powerful. I'm going to ask Brother Steve if he will open us in prayer. Thank you. I think anytime you sit down to study Ephesians, it's a good idea to begin by praising God for one or all six of those blessings that we read about in chapter one. Um, God chose you, God adopted you, God redeemed you, God enlightened you, God enriched you, and God sealed you. And we praise Him for that. And that's how the book begins. The phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is where we get this idea of praising God verbally. I didn't really know what that meant for a long time until we talked about it in here some time ago and I looked into it. You know, that word blessed right there, the Greek is uh, part of is L-E-G-O. And that means to speak. And then the E-U means good to speak well of we get our word for eulogize from that idea blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ David is speaking well of God praising God in Psalm 103 1 when he says bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name and so those things those six blessings are the foundation of this book uh, our study there are characteristics they are our identity as believers. And um, my goodness, when we ponder on that and praise God for that, it's, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit does in us. So we completed the first section last week. We are in the second section of the book today, which begins in chapter 4. And we're going to study the first seven verses. Uh, so in finishing the first section last week, which was the revelation of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we were taught how God changes us by His grace into people that belong to Him, into people that are being changed into His likeness, to be like Him. 
In other words, um, it's filled with doctrine. It's deep. It's difficult to understand sometimes, but uh, praise the Lord for these great resources, these great classes we've heard. We've, we've been able to take such a, a wealth of information and organize it in our minds to where we can carry it out and, and live it. And that's what this first section today transitions to is the nuts and bolts of how we take and apply this. This is the administration of the knowledge that we've learned in the first three chapters. And uh, so we're excited to get into that, how it's implemented. And uh, it's, it's more straightforward. It serves to get us moving, to get us living out our faith, and um, being about the Lord's work. You may have seen in some of these, there's one right there in front of Sean, a page, a cover page in, in some of these Ephesians notebooks that has three labels across it. One being sit, one being walk, and one being stand. And, and the sit applies to those first three chapters, Revelation I just spoke of. Uh, under that, it's got a portion of uh, verse 20 of chapter 1 where it says, Seated him at his right hand. The walk is what we begin today, chapters 4 through chapter 6, verses not verse 9, where we see five of them, walk in integrity, walk in truth, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. We're going to sp talk specifically about walk in integrity today in the first piece of that. Uh, and then stand in the last few verses is referring to stand firm in the midst of attack. Um, so I, I kind of think of it as, okay, these first three chapters dig into this doctrine, dig into this amazing mystery that is revealed, that has been revealed through Jesus, and then walk it out, live it out in this next section, four through uh, the early part of chapter six, and then stand, stand in front of attack and be in prayer constantly is how I, I kind of organize the whole book in my mind as simplistically as I can. Grayson, if you'll read our text today, and I'd encourage you to Follow along in your, with your grammatical layout if you have it in front of you. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So when we hear that first phrase, walk in a manner worthy of the calling, our mind should just go straight to the first of the three things Paul focused on in the revelation of the church of Jesus Christ, those first three chapters, uh, after he instructed us to praise God for those six blessings that we read. So what are those three things that Paul, that we see is the focus of, of Paul's prayer? Right, the calling is one, right, and then number two, that's right. We went into detail on that last week. And then the third. 
surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Exactly. So we're not going to talk about the inheritance and knowing the surpassing greatness of God's power uh, very much today, but we will talk about our calling because the text points us directly to that. We summed it up with two thoughts. That you can, it really organizes it and allows us to uh, take, take it with us out of here. The, the two thoughts of the hope of our calling. One was being a masterpiece of the grace of God. Amen. Greg, you heard, you heard great illustrations on the, the wall of fame. Or in, in, yes, absolutely, and the, the illustration of that. And, and God molding you into a trophy of His grace. The second one being a dwelling place of the Spirit, I wanted to just discuss for a second an Old Testament uh, passage that leads us to the thought of reverence toward the fact that you are a dwelling place of in the Spirit. Um, and we see that in 2 Samuel. Um, but in the Old Testament, what did people, people carefully carry that symbolized or was God's presence that they carefully carried? Right, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Correct. And, and they were instructed with strict instructions not to touch it. Why were they instructed not to touch? Exactly. Because it, it, because it is holy and we are sinful. And, um, and then so we, we see as they were carrying it, an, an ox stumbles and causes the ark to become unstable. And Uzzah touched it. And what did God do to him as a result? He, he struck him dead, correct. He struck him dead for his irreverence. And, and the, the revelation of this mystery of Jesus Christ means we're now, in part, means we are now a dwelling place of God's Spirit, and we must have an attitude of reverence toward that. It's, it's critical to walking in integrity as, as we're talking about. And Bill gave great illustrations to that in the past. Um, so in 2014, I'm coaching at Georgia Southern at the time, and we go to play Georgia Tech, and they were really good. They went to the Orange Bowl that year. Um, we were pretty good, too. And in the second half, we came back from behind and just stormed back, and we were absolutely killing them. I mean, we were fresh, full of energy, and their tongues were hanging out. They were dead tired. We were blocking them, and, I mean, every time we hand the ball off, we're getting six, seven, eight yards, and we're beating them to death physically. We take the lead, and there's a sh not much time left in the game, and we run a play, and as good option teams do, and you – you get to the perimeter, you pitch it, it goes a little bit forward, which is what you want, get the ball down the field. And in this particular case, we messed it up and ended up fumbling the ball after a forward pitch. And on the field, the official calls incomplete pass. Sigh of relief, we're all good. All right, let's go. We're going to hand it off, go up two scores, win the game. They pause and they send it up top for review. And it's clearly a forward pass. Everybody knew it was. And... They reversed the call. The call on the field was incomplete pass. They reversed the call. They said, no, it didn't go forward. It's a fumble. George Tech has the ball. We get beat. And we're just devastated. Um, you, you put so much into something like that, and for that to happen, you've got a lot of feelings. One of them is anger. 
And later on, I came in contact with the guy, one of the guys that I thought was either responsible or partially responsible for that up in the booth. And I had a moment that, that those same feelings boiled up inside of me. And I had a decision to make. I wanted so bad to either by sarcasm or just downright meanness get after him. And, and I had to stop and realize that I'm a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, out of reverence for that, you know, I, I have to respond and obey the, the calling that we have to glorify Him. And, um, and, and that can be tough. And, and, and we certainly do not always succeed in that, but our, our goal is definitely to do that. Um, so we're urged by Paul, urged, implored by Paul in verse 1 of chapter 4 to walk in a manner worthy of, of that calling. Then you see in your grammatical layout a list of important characteristics that lead us to a key phrase, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. So we get to talk about unity right now. And that's so special. Um, those characteristics, humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance to one another in love. And, and so this passage, as it focuses on the first point of walking with integrity, um, we're discussing preserving unity, being unified as, as the body of Christ, as believers. Um, and, and discussing our unity as, as God's people. A, a casual example of this, I'm going to give a casual example and a really the most intense example I can think of. So a casual example would be uh, Gretchen and Reagan and Jordan, they all live in Briar, Briarwood neighborhood. Okay, and if those three ladies are, are standing and talking at a street corner and people are walking by, they're going to look at those three ladies and see, wow, they talk, there's something different about the way they interact with each other. Listen to what they say. There's something different about their language. They look different than others. And, and, and that unity can, can bring about a, a, a glow, so to speak, of, of wow, look, look at how they glorify God in, in their unity and their passion to, to team up to glorify the Lord. And, uh, and that's a casual example. But the intense example we see in Acts 10. Okay, so you've got Peter who is taking the gospel to Cornelius, the Gentile. So this is not long after our Lord Jesus Christ rises from the grave and ascends to heaven. And there's a church, the church is Jews, okay? So this group of Jews believes and now... The church is started. The Holy Spirit has come. And so we have this group of Jews. Now Peter goes and he witnesses to a Gentile, Cornelius. And what happens? Cornelius believes and now there is a Gentile in the church. And, and Peter goes home and, and tells you know, the others, solid, wonderful believing Jews, his fellow brothers in Christ, who have been willing to be shunned by their uh, countrymen, so to speak, 
and endure persecution. We've seen that earlier in the book. These guys are great believers. And what did these guys do? They said, you went to the Gentiles and ate with them? That's their response to Peter. And Peter explained what happened, how God led him there, and they contemplated it, and they said, well then, in Acts 11, 18, the second part of the verse, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And I'm not even going to try to illustrate how difficult that must have been for them. I mean, it would be ridiculous for me to try to talk about Alabama and Auburn and some kind of insignificant thing like that to compare to the magnitude of, of really of this situation, the courageousness that these guys had in their attitude and their obedience to unify with, with the Gentiles. And what that means to us, as the Holy Spirit calls us to do, is lift others up and place others to a higher degree of importance to ourself. And, um, and, and that's amazing. I can't think of a, more, uh, a better example of, of that. You know, basically, God's seemingly saying, since you acted uh, with in, in such integrity, I'm going to bless you, because the very next thing we see after that is revival in the church of Antioch, and we see explosion of the church. Thousands of people saved. And, and it's, uh, you know, if, if we as a unified church bow our knee in obedience and walk in integrity that way, God will put his hand yeah. on us. He'll put his hand on a small group in here. He'll put his hand on the class, the whole church, all the Christians in Fayetteville, whatever the case may be. Uh, but we don't understand and we don't quite comprehend uh, the power that God will, will put and exercise toward uh, obedient believers like that that work to preserve unity. You have an integrity handout in front of you. If you will grab that. It's the first piece of walking in integrity, the first of five walk commands that we see. For the sake of time, you can skip, uh, skim number one, but number two shows the components of integrity, our actions, our words, our thoughts, and then under that, how they come together in submission to the Holy Spirit and in obedience and how those things align. Looking at four, a lot of us can kind of check the actions box. You know, we're not really mean to a whole lot of people. We're not going out and robbing a bank. You know, we're not shooting anybody. Um, the words a little bit tougher. Can we control our tongue? But now... We talk about being convicted. How about the thoughts? That's a lot harder. That's a lot harder. I don't think we have the hand up. Did you just say what they are? I'll just give you one. Hopefully everybody's got one. I'll let you see it. Yep. Um, and, I'm, and I apologize. Okay, you got one? Sorry. Sorry about that. Thanks. And, and this is such a beneficial page when you look through the whole thing but at the bottom of it. The process for integrity. Constantly review the goal, parentheses, scripture memory. Continually seek accountability. 
and consistently pursue the transformative, filling power of the Holy Spirit. What a, what a challenge that is. You know, keep that handout, refer back to it. That's, that's such a blessing. Um, but look back at, again at the grammatical layout and notice the, thing Paul, the things Paul notes we must have as he leads up to preserve the unity. The unity. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. Notice showing forbearance to one another in love. What's the first thing that pops in your mind when you hear that phrase? Enduring patience. Enduring patience is great. Great. Being patient with one another as misunderstandings arise. Letting go of the little things that could cause irritation or bad feelings. If I see one of y'all tonight wearing a Baltimore Ravens shirt, I'm going to have to exercise some of that. Uh, that's meant to be humorous and not serious, but um, on, a, on a serious note, the good football teams that I've been a part of from a coaching standpoint that have had unity, you know, a, a, a lot of, or it might be accurate, probably accurate to say most of these kids were not saved when I was coaching them. But the majority, well, all of these great teams that had unity, I never once had to even think about giving a speech to these players about loving your teammate that doesn't look like you, a different color. I, the thought of that never crossed my mind. Um, it didn't need to. Because when you share the same goal with people and, and you're working toward that goal, these guys are sweating all off season, they're lifting weights, they're doing a whole lot of these really tough things that we put them through. And, and they're doing that to achieve a goal of winning. They understand that they, can they cannot accomplish that goal without the other one. And unity is created. And all that stuff goes by the wayside. And I mean, if, if unbelievers can accomplish that in, in, in a team sport, my goodness, the power that, that we have far, far greater unity through the Spirit. I mean, I've seen the... Wide receiver from an inner city, all minority school, come up in a team meeting and sit down right beside this big 6'6", 300 pound country guy that drives a big truck and he's got dead deer carcasses in the back of it, <laughs> and reach into his pocket and hand the big country guy a can of dip and say, thank you for blocking so I can score those touchdowns. You know, and you know, that's what he thought the guy wanted and he was <laughs> he, he was pro, you know he's probably right um, you look like <laughs> but how much more unified do we have the power to be and, and that's because our goal is not to win games our goal is to glorify our Lord and Savior Amen. And, and, and when we realize that we, we can't we have to be unified to do that, and I understand the, the, the value Blake has in that, and he understands the value I have in that, and that unity starts to build. I mean, my goodness, we, we, we saw in Antioch an explosion of the gospel 
absolutely amazing. Uh, and, and lastly, the most difficult one, humility. Yeah, that, that was tough. It makes sense to me that Paul puts that number one on that list uh, lead, leading up uh, to, to unity. Who did Jesus say was the greatest person that had ever been born of a woman? John the Baptist, absolutely. He certainly had a reason. Maybe if, if God himself tells me I'm the greatest person on the earth and who's ever been born of a woman and walked the earth, you know, I, I could easily get a little puffed up. Um, but, but not him. What did John say in John 3.30? He must increase, I must decrease. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. What, what a, a, an amazing um, thought there. What, what an amazing example straight from Scripture. Um, how can the, the greatest person described by God to be the greatest person be that humble? It's, it's a complete picture of Holy Spirit-filled integrity. But that is what made him the greatest, is his humility. Mm. Unreal. I think about... Um, Second or first? Sorry, Mike. Didn't remember the reference. Second Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Um, so the question is, does the Holy Spirit control us? as this text is urgent. Um, humility is a key indicator of that, and that's so convicting. Uh, a lot of you know David Robinson, and you know who that is. So the big seven-foot admiral, they call him, went to the Naval Academy, one of the 50 greatest basketball players of all time. He's won an NBA championship. He's won the scoring title. He was a member of the Dream Team. And... <clears throat> He got into a point in his career he was playing really, really well and, and capable of winning another MVP. And his coach came up to him and said, I want you to take a subservient role, so to speak, a lesser role on this football team, and I want you to elevate this young, talented kid we got named Tim Duncan, and he is going to be our go-to guy. Your job is not to take as many shots as you used to take in exchange for getting him the ball. Your job is to set him up. In order for us to get where we want to go, he needs to be our guy. He needs to be our star. Now, you're David Robinson in that situation. The coach is basically asking you to give away millions to, in your mind, potentially compromise your legacy, which, is, which they're all after. And, and how do you respond to that? Well, he's admired in, in Christian groups as a man who has always held his faith very dear. He's serious about his faith. He talks about the Lord. He gives credit to the Lord. And um, I'll read just a blurb of what he said. By the way, they won the championship that year at the buzzer. And... Um, he showed how one player's faith can benefit the whole team. Earlier this year, 
I'm going to skip ahead for the sake of time. He said, I can't overstate, David Robinson, I can't overstate how important my faith has been to me as an athlete and a person. It's helped me deal with so many things, including matters of ego and pride. He went on to cite the story of David and Saul in 1 Samuel. And he said David had won a major victory for Saul, but Robinson said Saul couldn't enjoy the victory because he was thinking about David getting more credit than he was getting. And David Robinson said, God has given me the ability just to enjoy this team's victory. And, and what a challenge. What a challenge that was. Um, but the final one, and the one that honestly just leaves me speechless, you have in front of you, it's that list. It's a long list, if you'll find it. It's the most convicting illustration of integrity And I believe the Holy Spirit will use it in your life like he has with mine for great challenge and conviction. It comes from a guy named Brother Lawrence from France. He lived in the 1600s. And he had many physical ailments and disabilities. He grew up in extreme poverty. Uh, He ended up working as a cook and sandal maker. Uh, He was demoted from cook to sandal maker because of his ailments and handicaps, etc. But he developed into a man that they hungered for intimacy with God. Hungered for it. He became a monk. He wrote, he gave his whole life to serving God and he wrote letters that became famous that were penned into a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And I'm going to read this from Brother Lawrence, and I pray that it it touches you as it did me. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me, deliver me, Jesus, from the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebuke, from the fear of being forgotten, and from the fear of being suspected. And Jesus, grant me the grace to desire that others might be loved more than I. That others might, may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I go unnoticed that others may be preferred to me in everything that others may become holier than I and then this last one is is what gets me provided that I become as holy as I should 
Bill, would you close us, please? Absolutely.